Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor. Come alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. It is interview day, and I'm excited to talk with a, a longtime Instagram friend. You may know him from being around Banner of Truth, if you follow Banner, Banner of Truth Trust at all. But I get to interview uh, my new friend, David Bissett, today. David, how you doing? Doing well. Thank you, Jared. Yeah. Well, let's pray, and then i got a, a lot of questions for you, and I'm just excited to have, have a conversation with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, just the privilege of being able to use technology instead of the ways that it's used negatively so often, get to use it in a positive manner. And I pray that the, what comes from this would be fruitful. I pray that we would learn from Pastor David and, and that my listeners would be encouraged and equipped and challenged in the best sorts of ways. And so just lead us. Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. I trust you're going to do that. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, David, if you would, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and then what it is you do up where you are? And tell us where you're, where you're at as well. Thank you. Thank you, Jared. I'm uh, coming to you from the secular northeast, just north of Albany, New York. Uh, and it's a chilly 25, 30 wow. degrees out. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's good to be with you. I appreciate your podcast ministry. Uh, I grew up in Wisconsin in the Midwest. Um, I'm a pastor here in uh, New York, married with kids, and about to celebrate my 25th anniversary at the church. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. A little bit more, I can tell you. Um, I grew up the son of a minister mm -hmm. uh, and had no interest when I was converted in going into ministry. I wanted to be a lawyer and become governor of Wisconsin. Really? Progressive straight. Oh, yeah. I, that's, and that's were you a, a Packer story. fan? I'm assuming, I'm assuming you were a Packer fan as well. Were? Were? Well, okay, were. And is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got to find my, my cheese head. I thought I had it here in the office. Well, if you yeah, get that and put that on, I'm, I'm going to get a screenshot. If you find that and put it on, I'm getting a screenshot to put it in the show notes. I will send you all my pictures. I got a lot of regalia. Yeah, I love love the Packer. I love Wisconsin. God's been so good to give me wonderful roots. Yeah. Um, a great heritage beyond that, too. My dad was an immigrant from Scotland. Okay. And so I have fond connections with, with Scotland. Um, Very cool. Where were we? Oh, yeah. I grew up in Wisconsin, uh, went to college, majored in economics. I still dabble in that. I've had some postgraduate training I teach econ, but I went uh, into business waiting for my wife, my future wife to graduate mm -hmm. from college, went to seminary in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, okay. and got a call to uh, serve a church in the Northeast, uh, Hudson, New Hampshire. We were planting okay. the church. So I know the, the burdens and, and the, the grind of getting a church plant started. Wow. And uh, after that, served a church south of Boston for five years, and I've been here in New York for 25 years. Okay, very cool. Okay, now let's back up a little bit. And if you would, I've really, I think I've asked every single person I've interviewed this same question, but would you describe the process of your internal and external call into ministry? It's kind of unique with each person I ask, but, but there are some similarities there. So would you just describe that yeah. internal and external call? Yeah, I've thought about it a lot over the years, and, and this is a discussion I have with a lot of young pastors that I mentor or those that are thinking about the ministry. Um, uh, before I forget, I agree with Lloyd-Jones that uh, you should not uh, entertain uh, a ministry without the, a, con 
a conviction that the Lord has called me. Hmm. Um, as I said, I was in college. I was preparing for law school, economics major. I had natural gift of gab and a little bit of charisma in my personality. And I was a natural speaker. I was a leader in intervarsity, um, upfront kind of presence. And you would think that I would be on a ministry track, but growing up with a liberal Protestant as your dad and having a, a bad taste in your mouth about ministry and church mm-hmm. fighting and all of that, it was not high on my list. It was at the bottom mm-hmm. of my list. I said, Lord, send me anywhere but into ministry. But I was, uh, as I said, uh, in college, just sophomore, I went uh, one week to my local church. They were having a, a daily Bible conference in the winter studying the book of James, a different chapter each night. And uh, I just had this hunger for the word. So I'd be there. It was the Tuesday night, March 25th. And uh, he was covering James chapter three. And after preaching about how the mouth was to be used and they adjourned for refreshments and every college student loves refreshments. I was uh, so gripped by the application of that message for me and for my mouth and came as close as I think I've ever come to hearing an audible voice of the Lord saying, this is my call to you, wow. David, to use your gifts in the ministry. And uh, as I said, it wasn't anything I was seeking, uh, but it just floored me. I, I, I sat through the whole break, almost 30 minutes in the pew, wrestling with what I was understanding, and it was crystal clear. Hmm. And, so I, I tried to confirm that with people who knew me and said, could this be possible? And, and received a lot of affirmation um, and began making plans to, uh, uh, to change course. Okay. Uh, I changed my minor degree in college, started researching seminaries and on from there. Now, did you have mentors along the way after that that kind of showed you the ropes? So you had this somewhat ministry experience from your father and seeing how ministry worked in that liberal setting, but then mm. how after that did, did you kind of learn pastoral ministry? Yeah, I, I actually got a great taste of it. I had two or three mentors in college, yep. older men that themselves were heading off to seminary, uh, very active discipleship. InterVarsity okay. was wonderful for that. Uh, my first pastor is a believer in college, uh, Pastor Doug Baltz there in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I viewed him as almost a, a, a type of Apostle Paul, okay. uh, his, his compassion uh, for his flock. It was a wonderful model for me of what a pastor could and should be. Hmm. Great, uh, great ballast to what I had seen growing up in a liberal church. Yeah. So uh, Pastor Doug was a tremendous help okay. in, uh, in showing me what ministry could be. Um, and then, of course, once I went to seminary and uh, fell into this uh, church in downtown Minneapolis, uh, not the first church I attended to, but uh, checked it out, uh, there's this young fellow named John Piper who had a style of preaching uh, and a passion for ministry that just uh, connected with me mm. and just uh, opened my eyes even wider to see how ministry wasn't uh, an occupation. It was a passionate calling. Uh, it was an outliving of what we were learning in God's word. It was the fleshing out of our theology and and bringing other believers along uh, in pursuit of Christ. Hmm. I think I've heard of that guy, John Piper. <laughs> yeah, I, this would have been uh, the early uh, 80s before he was a rock star. And uh, of course, he's retired from the church now. And yeah. uh, But marvelous years there, marvelous hmm. years. So cool. Okay, so you've you've been in pastoral ministry 
be 25 years at this current church. And then yeah. you said the first New Hampshire church. So how long in pastoral ministry total then? Uh, just about 30 years this year. It'll be 31 years. I started okay. uh, preaching uh, just at the end of seminary and and doing some ministry and retreats right away. So that's, okay, so based uh, on how you look age-wise then, if you've been in ministry 31 years, so you're, you're 39 now, you started pastoring at eight. Is that... <laughs> no, I'll be, I'll be 60 this February, Jared, okay, but there uh, we go. the birthday's on February 29th. So okay. Well, ha- happy early birthday, yeah. a month or so early. So you've been, you've seen ministry trends, you've seen flashy yeah. uh, seeker stuff. You've seen, uh, house church ministry, you've just seen it all come and go. How is it that young pastors or pastors in general, just younger, older, um, how can pastors avoid getting sucked into kind of the flashy silver bullet ministry method, just method madness? How, how can a pastor take a long view and not get sucked into trends mm-hmm. of ministry? Mm. Well, I think the simplest answer comes from the scriptures, uh, that phrase, uh, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, Isaac Ambrose, the Puritan, has a great set of sermons on that. I I Hmm. recommend it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. In other words, where are you taking your clues from? Uh, What should ministry look like? Do we look at other churches? Do we Hmm. look at the culture? Well, the first clues have to really come from our understanding of who Jesus is, what the New Testament compels us to be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I understand demographics. Um, before I went to Piper's church, I was in one of the leading churches of the country led by, uh, Leith Anderson, president okay. of the national association of evangelicals, Wooddale church, Western suburbs. They required all their interns to buy some snappy blazers and meet the dress code. And they were really good. One of the best at how to do ministry in terms of mechanics and function. Okay but they didn't have a theology. The heart was, was not where my heart was at. Yeah. And uh, we could certainly uh, organize ministry and, and do some of those flashy things. And there would be some growth that would follow, mm-hmm. but you wonder what sort of growth and the depth of it. Uh, when I heard about this fellow in downtown Minneapolis, whose ministry was really driven by his theology, uh-huh. uh, John Piper, who loved Jonathan Edwards and the Puritans and some of the things I love. Um, you know, where their worship service didn't just feature all their gifted artists, but it was driven by um, uh, extensive prayer, uh, expository uh, plans, and uh, mm-hmm. so much more. So pastors have to be careful. What am I called to do? I'm called to be a shepherd. I'm called to be an expositor of God's word, a teacher of God's word. That's the number one feature, I think, in the biblical list of uh, elders is able to teach. Yeah. Um, so that's really your bread and butter. The, the programmatic side of a church, somebody needs to lead and, and have programming. Yeah. But right. that, if that takes the front seat, uh, that's a danger. Um, yeah. I realized that I mentioned uh, I did a little church planting uh, in 1990, uh, uh, 1991 in uh, New Hampshire. And I ended up uh, leaving that work because uh, the methods were overtaking the message. Hmm. Wow. And uh, it turned out to be not unlike a giant uh, Amway meeting, just to be a little blunt. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it, it interesting. Really church. It, it's interesting in, in the church planning world, because we just planted four years ago. And even in the most robust training that you can get for church planting, still yet, it seems like uh, there's a, a heavy emphasis on evangelism, a heavy, heavy emphasis on mission but there's an underdeveloped ecclesiology 
Mm-hmm. And, and I think in Baptist worlds in general, the Baptist world, we're really good on, on evangelism, really good on, yeah. you know, we just want to tell people about Jesus. And, and uh, but man, I see you guys get sucked into just trying some, some new ministry model every three years, every five years, we're going to revamp. And, mm-hmm. and it's as far as like staying power or just putting your face in the scriptures and, it, it, I think that the sentiment is, well, ecclesiology is not that important. The scriptures just open it up for us to do whatever. And I think that's wrong. I think mm-hmm. the scriptures are, are, are pretty robust and on, on its clarity in, our, in what our ecclesiology should look like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. That's well said. Um, we always have to be careful uh, uh, not to ignore our audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord tells us to have compassion. He modeled mm-hmm. that. He wept over Jerusalem. He spent time with uh, Zacchaeus and the like, uh, we've got to be careful not to ignore the audience and the community around us. But when um, uh, seeker-oriented becomes seeker-driven, to okay. use two older words from church planning, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like to be seeker-sensitive, yeah. um, but I don't want to become seeker-oriented. And, yeah, that's and good. Because there are some churches, for instance, the little church plant in New Hampshire, stopped having communion on Sunday mornings because it was offensive to all the seekers that were there just oh, for wow. the, the fellowship. And they relegated it to once, you know, they, they moved things around because they were seeker driven. Gotcha. I, in, in my ministry, just to, to flesh out what I mean by this, I'm seeker sensitive. If I'm calling out uh, the text from scripture, we're in Psalms. It's found in the middle of your Bible. That's good. Uh, or the book of Matthew. It's the first book of the new Testament. It's new. You, you always try to, consider who's in your audience and mm-hmm. use, remember that with your illustrations, they may not all know the story of Jephthah's vow. Mm-hmm. So you might have to bring in a, a more secular illustration from time to time. Yeah, that's helpful. That, that's a really seeker, seeker, seeker sensitive, not seeker oriented in our ministry is very important. It's good. To remember who we are first and. Uh, good. That's a really helpful distinction. So, okay, to continue on the theme here of, of being in ministry a few years, uh, you're, you're, you're still here. You're still doing it. You're still at your formal retirement age. You know, there's five more. You're generally people say formal retirement age is 65, and you may, nobody ever really wants, I mean, we can't just stop working, but yeah. uh, you're still doing this. Now, a lot of pastors, by, by every study that you can find from denomination to denomination, are not making it. They're quitting. There's, there's, uh, people, unfortunately, that have committed suicide, uh, some really sad stories. Um, what has sustained you through these years uh, to the point that you're still in it and you're still, just from talking with you, I can tell you're still passionate and excited about ministry. What has helped you along the way? Uh, uh, many things, uh, many people. Uh, a godly wife is a wonderful thing, um, knowing that people are praying for you. Um, I've been thinking about this uh, since you scheduled the interview. I, I really have to say taking care to keep the embers of your devotional life burning. Hmm. Um, that's really important in ministry. Um, in other words, your morning uh, quiet time isn't simply to read the text you're preaching on and do your sermon work. Um, you have to um, uh, graze across the whole pasture of God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, includes the the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, um, the book of Judges, 
um, things that might challenge you, the minor prophets. I mean, if you have a steady diet of the whole counsel of God, it's, it's very humbling. Yeah. And uh, it really does help you to see the grace of God in, in, in great clarity. So mm-hmm. a strong devotional life, but I, I, I have to say I supplement that with uh, reading biographies. Okay. Um, ministry gets very diff- difficult, and you wonder, boy, how did, how did this happen? I was hugely blessed by um, the biography by uh, my friend Ian Murray on Jonathan Edwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, when my wife and I were driving from Wisconsin to New England, we read through uh, the biography of Jonathan Edwards, and we read through Francis Schaeffer's, Edith Schaefer's book, Labrie, hmm. and said, how did, how did these, in two different periods there completely, mm-hmm. um, how did they begin their ministry? How did they uh, go about their ministry? Christian biography helps us uh, to see an example. And if, if, it's a, if it's a well-picked biography and well-written, it shows you what made them tick. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan Edwards had a, an incredibly huge God that inspired him. And uh, that was helpful to me. So I read Christian biography almost regularly. Okay. I try to read some other biographies along the way as well to understand how men work, how people work. But uh, Christian biographies, pastors, I read sermons. I, I foolishly set out to, to, to try to read every Spurgeon sermon that was ever written. Oh, goodness. You know, try to, I'll read one every day the when series, I get to the, the church Metropolitan office. series. <laughs> didn't get didn't get more than a couple of years into that. So okay, yeah. Uh, be be careful what what goals you set for your devotional life. Um, longevity in ministry, I think, has to come uh, by grace. Oh, I'm thankful amen. for all the all the books that are written out here. The gospel driven ministry, the the gospel driven this or that. We have to remember that your your life as a pastor has to be gospel driven. Yeah. Um, and w- one other plus too, I have to have to say. Uh, longevity in ministry for me, uh, especially at those places where I almost took the exit ramp, mm-hmm. uh, has been my annual attendance at the Banner of Truth Ministers Conference every okay. day. It's different than T4G and Gospel Coalition. It's almost like a retreat. They take over a college campus, two, three hundred, four hundred guys, pastors, fellow elders from across several denominations have Banner of Truth books in common. And it's a time away where you sit under the preaching of the word. Good. And instead of just going to a bookstore or hotel at the end of the day, you eat with one another, you, you dorm with one another. And I built some tremendous fellowship there. Um, mm. That's especially important when you're a solo pastor or in a, yeah. a non-denominational setting. I, you know, you have to concoct your fellowship ties. Banner Truth has been fantastic for me. And yes. often it's the car ride down to Banner. Mm-hmm. You know, when I lived in Boston, that's a long drive. And uh, I can tell you some stories and name some names and uh, uh, the, the lives that were shared and those mm-hmm. long hours of driving to the conference, the role that that's had. And of course, Band of Truth introduces you to a, a few good books along the way. So Yes, there you go. I love the banner. We did a giveaway with the Martin Lloyd-Jones Roman set last year. I was working with our mutual friend, Pat Daly. And Next month, actually, the banner is partnering with us again. We're going to be doing a giveaway of, of Bunyan's complete works. And so I'm excited wow. to be able to do that. And wow. I, I've never made it to the banner conference, the pastor's conference. I'd love to. I just haven't done it. Um, but if for anybody that's interested in conferences, the big ones that, that everybody goes to, the T4Gs and those kind of things, those can be great. But those smaller different. conferences and just that plug for the banner conference, that, that's, that sounds pretty pretty awesome, more retreat-like than conference-like. Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty mm-hmm. unique. 
And Jared, I should mention the banner doesn't uh, promote this extensively, but if there's a, a listener out there, a pastor who said, I would love to go, but I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. They should contact uh, Pat Daly, the USA banner office manager. Huh. And uh, occasionally they've made scholarships available. Okay. Um, I don't want to get emotional, but from New England, I had no money. And the first mm. two or three years, I was granted a scholarship to attend. Wow. And it made all the difference in the world. That's so incredible. I've been going 27, 28 so cool. years since. Uh, well, well, there you go. Banner truth. Well, be covered. The banner's getting a free plug here today. It's pretty cool, and that's awesome to see them stepping up and doing that for you and that testimony. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So, banner's a very generous organization. Yeah. Now, I've heard this story. I've been there countless times. Young pastor gets hired at a church, First Baptist, uh, Chicago. I don't know, First Baptist, whatever town. You're sitting in an office or a Starbucks, 24 years old, 26 years old, and you're wondering, what in the world am I supposed to be doing? Yeah. For guys that don't know how to build a healthy work schedule, how have you done that? And then what's your current schedule look like? What's a Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday? What, like through the week, what's your, when's your off day? Uh, yeah. How does that, what's that look like for you? Uh, boy, a lot of things come to mind. I can tell you easily, Monday's my off day. Um, okay. I take it uh, because you, you really need to catch your breath after Sunday if you've poured yourself out. Um, we're a homeschooling family, so it doesn't matter so much with my kids uh, what day of the week it is. Um, okay. Most of my kids are gone. I only have one left at home. Um, and my schedule is so much different now than it was when I first started out. I tried to have blocks of time and a, a written schedule and very intentional. And I think that's important. Because the key to having a good schedule in ministry, you're, you're really self-policing. No mm-hmm. one from the church is really going to say, hey, where were you Tuesday at right. 3 o'clock? Right. Um, but you work off your priorities. You find out what am I going to need in order to prepare the sermon. Or if you have two sermons. I have uh, two sermons in an adult Sunday school class and a Wednesday prayer meeting. So I have four preps each week. And, okay. and you learn what am I going to need uh, to get those done. As a young pastor... I'm approaching my sermon text uh, without years of experience. So I I needed four times as much time as I do now, Mm -hmm. you know, full 10, 12 plus hours. Uh, Because as you're studying the text, you come to a doctrinal conclusion. I would look it up in almost every reference book I had. Is this correct? Right. Um, Just to get my bearings. Um, Now, uh, you know, after 30 years of preaching regularly, I've, I've got a lot of things already in my head and in my, so my preaching is, is more um, uh, just focusing on the message of the text, bringing some of the resources I have to bear. So preparation requires less um, time throughout the week. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, back to what I would say and what I do say uh, uh, with young pastors, make sure you have your priorities right and don't uh, just grind through a written schedule. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's two o'clock now. I have to go do this. That, that's right. a little artificial. Um, and your priorities really are your, your call to your family as well as your call to the ministry. Uh, make sure in addition to having your day off that it doesn't become just your day. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure to have a family night. A date night is very important. If you're a guy like Jared with young kids at home, you've got to make sure to be investing in your children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a pastor ought to have in his planner or in his uh, calendar, digital calendar, uh, family time and block it yeah. off. Um, it good. should be a on your checklist. So 
That's good. Really good. Um, more on scheduling. I think what you also have to do is you have to uh, pay attention to the flock. You've got your priority is to know your flock. So you better have people time to make phone calls, send emails, um, and do some visitation. Uh, if, if you still can get out and do that or be in a place. I mean, the evolution of uh, Starbucks is kind of new. We're in around mm -hmm. when I just had Dunkin' Donuts back yeah. in the 80s. <laughs> hey, that's 90s. the East Coast thing is Dunkin' Donuts, right? <laughs> Isn't that everywhere over there? Every corner. On every, every corner. corner. Um, so to be available, let your people know that you're approachable and uh, understand uh, uh, that interruptions uh, are often divine providences. Yeah. Um, I work out of my study at home quite a bit, and uh, when the children would come to the door, it could be viewed as an interruption or it could be viewed as a, uh, a wonderful opportunity to be a dad mm, and a really pastor good. to that young person. So you have to have an open-door policy. Uh, I'm always sad when somebody uh, in a church office, uh, you know, they're so guarded with their time, they won't allow for interruptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. I got, I got three more questions for you and I'll shape up these questions so you can kind of be processing as you answer them in order. The first one is for young pastors. The second, second one is for, for guys that are generally your age. And then the third one is going to set you up just to praise God for his grace is why do you love Jesus? But the first one is what advice do you have young pastor? If you could just think through a couple, maybe what you would tell yourself at 25, what are some things that you would would give for advice or as advice to young pastors? Yeah. Um, I didn't formulate a pat answer to that and I want to try to be profound, but I, I just want to be simple. Mm -hmm. um, most helpful for me um, when I went to my first church uh, as a solo pastor, uh, they were not reformed, which is my theological bent. And uh, they wondered why I didn't do the altar calls the way they, their former pastor had done them. And I, I talked to John Piper and I said, what do I do? And he said, the number one thing you need to do is love your people. Hmm. Um, and that just brought back another lesson. A missionary had told me uh, that guides his prayer life. You need to pray for a heart that loves people. So I think for, for younger pastors, you got to make sure that uh, uh, your heart's in the right place when you view your flock. They're not your uh, laboratory for your theological uh, gifts uh, and experiments. Uh, they're the people you're there to serve and to, to feed the flock, to shepherd the lambs. And young pastor, you know, uh, be humble and be teachable as you do that. There's some people in that church that know the Lord better than you do. Um, you've got to be open to criticism. Um, but then, too, um, you can't fear the face of men. I, I, I remember days as a young pastor when I wanted to preach something, and I, I was anxious, not knowing mm -hmm. how it would be received. Um, yeah. But if the Lord is speaking through you and you stand on the authority of the text of God, uh, you need to uh, understand that you're exercising a divine office. My friend Joel Beakey was very helpful uh, when talking about that. Uh, never forget that you have been ordained to gospel ministry and you speak on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm, amen. So we've got to be careful not to, to fear people. When you start to fear people, you become a people pleaser. Uh, great book on uh, people pleasers. I can't remember who published it. Uh, Lou Priola. Um, so that's what I would mention to young pastors. Okay. Uh, certainly the, the age we live in is, is more dangerous. 
than ever for young pastors because of the digital life we lead, mm-hmm. um, the dangers of pornography or ensnarement with the entertainment of the world. We can easily be amusing ourselves to death on social media. If you have an yeah. iPhone, turn on the screen timer. Make sure your wife knows how much time you're, <laughs> you're spending good. on these social media sites. That's good. Because they'll just suck away your time. And yeah. They can really destroy your reflective life and uh, your attention span. That screen time is a shocker. First time we did that, I was under four hours and I was thinking, my gosh, almost four hours. And now I've got that under two hours a day. Oh, and it, but even that screen time of two hours a day, you think, my goodness, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a lot of time, mm-hmm. even at that. And uh, I feel, it's like, I feel good about that from where I started, but still yet two hours. Yeah. And, and uh, it is pretty wild. That screen time detector or whatever that is, is pretty pretty uh, good for people to keep a check, you know, keep, keep that in check for sure. And, and, you know, not only for pastors, uh, pastors need to help the men of their church and the people of their church uh, Mm -hmm. with that issue. Yeah. We've got to think theologically. Tony Ranke's book is excellent on that. So that is a great book. Yes. The issues of the day. um, If it's something that's good for your soul, it's what your people also need to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good. All right. So there's the young guys. Great stuff for the older guys, the guys that are nearing last decade of formal ministry. Ministry is going to continue to the day we die. But what have been some of your biggest challenges as you've grown a little bit older and then entering into this different stage of ministry for you where you're talking Mm -hmm. to guys like myself, young guys, and I'm I'm assuming you've been doing that along the way. But uh, what advice do you have for older listeners as they're kind of looking down and thinking about transitions and those sorts of things? Uh, yeah. For, well, for one, I'm, I'm new at doing the old guy part. Okay. I have more experience doing the young guy. Part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, it, seriously. Yeah. I, it, I've been drawn into all sorts of conversations and relationships with younger pastors. And that's been part of the help to me as an older pastor. Hmm. So I would say, and I've got brothers with the same age, we meet often. And uh, I need to say, make sure to have relationships with younger pastors. Mm. That helps the older pastor a great deal. But I, I, I say have relationships with, I don't say talk to them and mentor them mm-hmm. um, because we need to listen. Mm. Um, I find that as much as I love going back to the banner of truth to meet all my old friends uh, and they know who they are, uh-huh. every year I try to make one or two new friends. And mm. it's been fantastic to meet these young guys uh, that they dress differently than me. They've got a different style of ministry, a different vocabulary. Um, and, and that's been rejuvenating for me mm. to see how God is raising up uh, faithful men in a new generation. Um, and that's been a challenge to me. Uh, it reminds me of uh, the zeal of my early days. And uh, I, I think older men can be cloistered. Uh, older men can be in a rut. Um, yeah, nothing wrong with being a curmudgeon, I suppose, if you're, <laughs> if that's the Lord's calling. But I, I think our our flock changes, and we need to be uh, as active as ever in in our ministry. So um, don't be cloistered. Have relationships with younger men. It's it's a lot more work uh, to connect with young people, uh, and but younger pastors can be a real eye opener to that, and especially men that uh, from outside your normal circles. Mm-hmm. Um, I love connecting with guys. Uh, there's yeah. a guy in inner city Philadelphia and uh, just a joy to, uh, to meet with him. He always calls me doc. 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, he's got that respect, but I'm really learning from him. That's good. And uh, that helps. That helps the older pastor. So if you're an older pastor listening to this, um, you know, go out and introduce yourself to these young guys. If there's a man planting a church in your area, he needs your support. He needs yeah, your friendship. Um, and uh, don't go in with the attitude, oh, I'm here to, uh, to help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, because expect to be blessed just by building a relationship. And what that does, David, is I'm hearing your talk. It's very similar to my friend Ron. My friend Ron was a political science prof at the local state university, and he worked with the Reagan administration in the 80s. This guy is brilliant. He'd been a Christian about 10 years, and when I was 31, 30 or 31, he came to me and sat down. We went to Hardee's, the local Hardee's. And he said, Jared, I have so much to learn from you. That was one of the first words that he had said. And in my mind, I immediately knew, no, Ron, I have so much to learn from you. It drew me in. And so that posture that you're just encouraging older men to have, of it has this reverse effect. If young guys want to learn from men, like we want to be like you. We want to be that kind of man that doesn't just run around wanting to teach everybody all the time. Yeah. We want to become men like what you're describing. And so I, I admire your answer there. It's rare. And, and we don't walk in saying, oh, I'm the epitome, be like me. We also share our vulnerable side. Hmm. Um, I like to tell some of the stories of my mistakes. And one-on-one to a younger pastor, that's, that's safe uh, to relive those things. And maybe they can learn from that. Um, mentoring discipleship is two ways um, hmm. and there's a lot of benefits. So, you know, the danger is, and, and I remember this a lot in the last couple of years with all these guys seeking me out, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm pretty important. Hmm. Um, you know, your, your ego gets stroked. Okay. Uh, but that's when you have to just uh, remember your calling to serve them uh, and to let them serve you. And that's so good. And, and, and just helpful. watch out for that. So you're saying that we're going to have to deal with the ego for the rest of our lives? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Hey, I mentioned that uh, biography of Jonathan Edwards that Ian Murray wrote. Uh, there's also a bigger one by jo- uh, Marsden. Uh, that's okay. a fascinating thing. When, when, Roger, when Edwards came home to serve under Solomon Stoddard for a while, even though he had advanced degrees and tremendous gifts, he really submitted himself. Hmm. Uh, to the older man. And uh, I think a lot of the formation of Edward's ministry was profited by that relationship quite a bit. And uh, it's something to to see And reading Christian biography. You'll see some of those dynamics. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So cool. Younger, older. And just to plug banner again, if you've not, I mean, I just got for Christmas, the Whitfield volume one and two, the Arnold Dallimore um, and read through Lloyd Jones Spurgeon, the Spurgeon two volume autobiography was the first, biography I read from there. And then I got the Lloyd-Jones set and Whitfield set. I'm going to read through this year. I'm excited about that. And they are really accessible biographies. You got the little Amy Carmichael one, the one that Ian Murray wrote. And, um, but, uh, anything by Ian Murray is, is worth reading. Isn't it fantastic? I read this last year, I read uh, revival and revivalism and the the Puritan hope as well. And I've jumped on the, I jumped on the post-millennial bandwagon uh through the puritan hope and <laughs> uh that's another topic but okay we don't we don't have time uh but uh, yeah right ian murray he's he's great i've so appreciated him i tried to interview him actually but i couldn't couldn't make that work um but okay i'm gonna yeah. set you up here again just to to praise god and 
for his grace. Why David Bissett, Pastor David Bissett, new buddy, why do you love Jesus so much? Oh, uh, how much time do we have? I, you know, the obvious, the first and best answer is he opened my eyes. Mm-hmm. I grew up the son of a minister. My best friend, I thought, was in a cult. He had just been born again. I dust off a Bible, try to convert him. And instead, he leads me into the Word, and Jesus meets me there. Oh, and my wow. prayer to receive Christ was, I can't be a Christian. You're going to have to save me. Mm-hmm. Christ opened my eyes, showed me grace. And he who has been forgiven much, loves much. Um, I'm, I'm daily thankful for God's mercies to me. And, uh, so I love Jesus. And, you know, I, I would also say when, when you say, why do I love Jesus? He's, he's a friend. He's a shepherd. Um, so many wonderful reasons and, uh, gives meaning to life and, uh, yeah, that's so cool. Well, as you were describing all of that, my son got to hear a ransom just popped in. He brought me down an art project he was working on. And, uh, but that's so nice. neat. You, as you're trying to convert your newly converted best friend, Jesus gets a hold of you. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you, to go from uh, being religious to being right with God is, is the best thing in the huh. world. And, you know, that gives me hope for our ministry in America. So many Americans yeah. think they're, they're right with God because they have a little bit of religion or they're nice. And, you know, being saved right out of that and seeing its yeah. deficiencies is, gives yeah. me hope for our good. ministry, for the sufficiency of the word. Hmm. So it's good. Well, thank you so much, David. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And everybody listening, I hope you've enjoyed it. But David, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jared, for this opportunity. If I can uh, help you or your listeners, uh, feel free to give out my my email. If anybody inquires, I'd be happy to follow up. Yeah. Anybody's listening from uh, upstate New York, let's get together. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.